Good morning. Good morning, church. Good morning, church. All right. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. We're going to read from Esther chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the back of the pew. That is the CSB version. And if you're pulling the Bible from the back of the pew, that is on page 439. When you have it, say amen. That's old school. (laughs) All right. Esther chapter 10. King Asuerus imposed a tax throughout the land, even to the furthest shores. All his powerful and magnificent accomplishments and the detailed account of Mordecai's great rank with which the king had honored him, have they not been written, have they not been written in the book of the historical events of the kings of Media and Persia? Mordecai the Jew was second only to King Asuerus. He was famous among the Jews and highly esteemed by many of his relatives. He continued to pursue prosperity for his people and to speak for the well-being of all his descendants. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How are you guys doing today? Good, good, good. I'm excited um, today because today is a busy day. We got a lot going on. And so you can, we can enjoy the, all of the different things that we're going to be doing today. So um, obviously we just dismissed our youth. So if you are a part of the middle school or high school, that we are downstairs. And then also today is that we're closing out the book of Esther. How many of you guys enjoyed the book of Esther so far? We got a standing ovation up there. Man, we're excited. Yeah, so the book of Esther has been a really, really good book for us. I really think it's it's been one of those books that has allowed us to um, kind of focus in. And, you know, a key theme in the book of Esther is in Esther chapter 4, where it talks about for such a time as this. And I really think that the book of Esther is actually something is for such a time as this as well. I mean, this kind of, we've named the series Living in the Tension, Living in the Tension. And that's really what this is about. This is about living in the tension. And I think that we are in times right now that they're of great tension, right? That's going on in our world, going on in our country. Um, We are about to go into an election. There's voting next week. That's going to be a reminder of what we're going to be in all next year. You know, and so there's just a lot going on right now. But, you know, but today, basically, we're going to be closing out the book of Esther. And we read the first, 10 ver- uh, first three verses of chapter 10, and it kind of is like um, a microcosm of what the book of Esther, you know, is about. So what I'm going to do today is this specifically, I'm going to spend about 10 minutes on just talking you know, just about some life lessons or some lessons that we learned about living in the tension throughout the book of Esther. Then I'm going to invite Pastor Carly up and he's going to come. And we're just going to just take some time for Q&A. Q&A of just, and just even some testimonies are just some things of saying like, hey, this is a life lesson that I learned in the book of Esther. And so we got some people that are, that is going to allow for us to minister to one another. And so we're wrapping up um, this book of Esther. And so we're going to take about 10 minutes there, 20 minutes of Q&A, and then we're going to give you a lot of time Today, we're going to sing some songs and worship, but you're going to give you a lot of times to go and fellowship outside because immediately after we have the fall festival. And so we're going to have some time. So there's there is all types of stuff that's going to be out there for us to be able to fellowship as families. So all the way from a pie eating contest to 
folding to candy and all much, much more. So we're going to see if Pastor Carly is going to actually win this year the, the pie-eating contest. Yes. Is that, is that be back-to-back for you? Back-to-back, a repeat. He could have that. I've never, my goal is never to win that. But it is, we'll see if we get a repeat um, for that. So, and again, so the book of Esther, the, the last three verses, and we're really not going to spend much time at all in chapter 10. If you looked at the years, it's like, what can we get out of chapter 10? And it's like, not much. I don't really think that there's much that we're going to get, but it is a microcosm of what the book of Esther is about, right? Um, it, it's, it's symbolic of the book. There's really no exhortation really about God in the, in the final chapter um, of the book of Esther. It is also man-centered. It, it, you know, it's man gets the credit. If you look at who's the hero at the end of chapter 10, right? It's, it's, you see King Ahasuerus, right? He talks about what he's done and giving taxes all throughout the land. You see Mordecai. Mordecai is out and he's like talking about how successful he was. He would be in a lot of ways the person that gets a lot of the credit. But what's interesting is that if you go back through the book of Esther, that's, it's not about much about Mordecai. Mordecai wasn't even the, the, the star in the book of Esther, wasn't even the key person, but he's the one who ends up getting the credit. And, and oftentimes it's much like life right? The heroes and the people that we celebrated are oftentimes not the people that are actually that put in the work, you know, and what we're doing. And, you know, and oftentimes, and even more so, God is left out altogether. He's left out altogether in terms of kind of, but we recognize that the book of Esther, God's fingerprint, God's handprint is all on the book of Esther. It's throughout the book, even though his name is not Mentioned. So what I want to do is, is I want to give you six, six takeaways. Pastor Carly is going to come up and then we're going to do Q&A um, and, testi- and, and testimonies. And so these are six, six takeaways from the book of Esther about living in the tension that we can learn about living in the tension. All right. Um, if you guys remember the book of Esther, it's basically number one is just simply living with courage. That's, that, this is what ultimately this is about, living with courage. Living in the tension is about making courageous decisions. Courageous decisions are courageous choices in a world that's full of compromise and uncertainty, right? And for many of us, that's the world in which we live in. We live in a world, we go to jobs, we live in homes, um, you know, that it, oftentimes it feels like the options are either, it's, it's both compromise and there's uncertainty that we have. And what the book of Esther is that we have kind of these two major pillars that goes throughout the theme. It's basically God's providence, right? And we also see human struggle, human struggle. And the question becomes is how do we live with courage as we wrestle with God's providence in human, human struggle? So the first one is simply like how do we live with courage, right? The second point that I want to bring out is the concept of understanding the times, understanding the times. This is, I think, is really important because you can't get a full understanding of what's going on in the book of Esther unless you understand the times in which Esther is going through, right? That we're in a period, um, you know, there that is, there is a king, the Persian king, that is King Xerxes. Again, we talked about if you, if you were going back and you listened to the series that you guys seen the movie 300, 
right? In the movie 300, it is basically that Xerxes, the, 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 the king that went up. That is the king that has come. He's a young king. He just started off. And basically, that the, the times are, it's really bad right there. It's a volatile king. He's a young king. How do we know he's volatile and he's young? Because early in his kingdomship, father, his father died. He was defeated by those same Greeks, right? He was defeated by them. And so Xerxes wanted to avenge his father. And so that's kind of how we moved in to the air, what we saw in the 300. But before he does that, he's trying to rally everybody together. So he throws a six-month party, and he's showing all of his force, all of his might, all of his things. And then he brings out the one thing. He says, I want to also show you about the women that I have. Vashti doesn't come, and he basically eliminates Vashti, right? He is, so she, he's just like volatile, right? Just even of how he gets dismissed Vashti, which was the king. And then the idea is it's kind of like how he chose his new king. He begins to take, goes throughout all of his 127 provinces, brings them all together, and basically um, says he brings them all to, but basically into slavery. And he says, I'm going to choose my wife out of there. He either turns them into concubines, wives, or in one will become the queen. And this is how Esther ultimately becomes the queen, right? And so there's a volatile king. There's a clear enemy, right? That when we see in the book of Hester, the book of the, um, Haman, Haman is set up as the clear enemy of God's people. And we see that all throughout the book of Esther, all the way to the point where Haman is trying to destroy the people, that he even gets to a point where there's an edict that is going to a certain day that all the people will be destroyed, right? And he's blinded because all he wants is power, fame, money, right? He wants all the things that so many of us as people we pursue. And then the last thing that we see this understanding of the times is there's a compromised people. Right? So we're talking about God's people, but you recognize God in the story, the overarching thing, God told his people to go back to Israel. But there was a group of Jews that decided that they were not going back to Israel. They were going to stay. We don't know exactly why they stay, but we, there's many assume that oftentimes it was because of comfort. They were people who had a little success in there. They were just like, this is a better life here than if I were to go back and start all over. So there's already a sense of compromise in the book of Esther. And so, and what I love about this book is that Esther, nobody like loves Esther, especially early in the book. Like the book of Esther, no one loves them. Like the, the people that are conservatives of Esther, it was like, well, she should have been in, you know, back with the people of God where they were back trying to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. She shouldn't have compromised and she should have been like Daniel and the Hebrew boys of saying, if I die, I die. So she's, she's sold out, like she's compromised her faith. Nobody, like the conservatives don't like her. But then also the people, the liberals don't like her either because she was like, man, she's just listening to all these men. She just listened to whatever Mordecai says. She just serves herself to the king. Like she should be more like Vashti, who fights the man, right? Fights the institution, right? And so nobody likes Esther. So like she has, the, like there has this problem, but ultimately what we recognize is that this is the struggle of uncertainty. And that's the third point. The struggle, there's this, this struggle of uncertainty because it's sort of like God is like, it's, it's like if Esther was like, hey, God, if you would just tell me what to do specifically, I'll do it. And that's like many of us. We would just say like, you know, how do we vote? How do we live? Well, how do we um, respond to this event or to this crisis? To what's going on in Israel? What's going on? Like, how do we, do, like, how do we know what's going on? God, if you would just give me a really clear word, I would be all about it. But it's so many times I just don't know. I, I struggle with what's taking place. But everybody else has an opinion on where I need to go. 
and how I need to vote or how I need to act or how I need to respond. But there's a, a struggle with uncertainty. And throughout this whole entire book, God does not ever say a word. There's no clear sign. There's no clear thing that God comes out and just says, do this, do that, right? And so many times it seems like in our hardest times, God is silent. He's silent and we're desperately, we want to hear from God, but he's silent. So there's this struggle with uncertainty that we, that we have. There's no clear intervention. It wasn't like the, the, the times in the past where like, you know, when God was fighting against Pharaoh, that he was like plagues and all these things that were just clear. Like there's no clear signs. There's nothing that thus saith the Lord that takes place. So there's a struggle with uncertainty. But another lesson that we learned is how do we trust Trust in God's providence. Trust in God's This is all about God's providence. Because although there's no clear um, like statement to God or there's no clear God speaking, we know that it's all about God's providence. And the question is, is how do we, are God's people, trust in God's providence, right? And what is God's providence? It's, um, it's God's activity through history to accomplish his purposes, regardless of whether humans acknowledge him or not. So it's God's activity throughout history to accomplish his purposes, regardless of whether humans acknowledge him, you know, or not. And so we see God's activity, God's purposes, right, and really regardless of the human acknowledgement, you know. And so, but what we see is that, you know, that kind of sets the book up. But then verses, chapters four, five, and six, then we kind of move into kind of this walking courageously, Right? And we were talking about, like, if we're going to be living in the tension, we need to walk courageously. Right? One of the things that we see, that you see people like Mordecai unwilling to bow to Haman, no matter understanding. And that kind of what leads to, like, Haman's desire to destroy all the Jews, all of God's people. So his unwillingness to bow down to Haman. You see um, even Esther making a tough decision in chapter 4 of her willingness to even, you know, step down from the queenship. So you see that. You also see like them utilizing what they have, right? Whatever's in their hand. Mordecai goes to the gate. We remember that the gate scene. Mordecai rips his clothes off. He's wailing and he's utilizing whatever platform that he has for the purpose. He's not seeking bigger platforms or better platforms. You know how we do oftentimes like, God, if you give me a better platform, then I'll use it for you. And this is like, but you're not using the platform you currently have. Right. And so it's sort of like he's like he utilizes what he has. We also see the queen, Queen Esther. She also utilizes what she has. She even gets to the point, the resolve, the understanding that I'm going to approach the king. And there's a possibility that she will die. And she was just like, if I die, I die. But I'm going to intercede on behalf of my people. And so you see her walking courageously. And then finally, you ultimately you see a surrender to the gospel of Jesus. And I think that this is the big theme that the book of Esther, it's pointing to something beyond Esther. This is not a book that you go and you get a five point, okay, lessons learned, or this is what you're going to do, and this is how you live in the tension. You're not, you're not supposed to go and look at Mordecai and say, you could do exactly like this. Or you could go to Esther and you do it exactly like this. Like they're not lifted up as kind of the prototypes on how we're supposed to live particularly. Basically, they are in survival mode. They're in survival mode in a time of tremendous compromise, in a time of uncertainty that they're trying to survive. And you know what we do when we try to survive? We survive, right? And, they, and they're, they're doing what they are doing. But what it's meant to be is to look to those as prototypes that looks to something bigger than themselves. 
And what we see all throughout the book of Esther is all of these beautiful pictures that is meant for us to look at the providence of God that's, at, that's in the life of all of the people that's in the book of Esther, but then look to a Savior, the one to come. And that is, you know, ultimately what we see um, in the book of Esther. There's such a beautiful picture of Christ in it. And oftentimes we don't talk about this, um, is the picture that we see of Christ. You have the, um, one person that the king, right? And the king cannot be approached by anyone. And there's only one person, there's one person that is able to approach the king, and that's queen, right? She approaches the queen and being with the willingness to lay down her life, right, for her people so that her people may be redeemed. If that's not a picture of the gospel, there's nothing is, right, that she identifies with her people. She's willing to lay down her life for her people so that her people may be redeemed. That is the gospel. And so the book of Esther, and Esther is a type of Christ that we look to something that's greater than Esther. We look to Jesus. And so that's really what the book of Esther is about. And so when we talk about living in the time of tension, that's really kind of some of the life lessons that we have. So I'm going to bring up Pastor Carly, and we're going to come, and we, we have a couple of mics. So what we want to do this time is that we just want to open it up. Like, what are some, some lessons that you learned, some takeaways that you have, or what even some questions that you may have, you know, in the book of Esther. And we're going to spend about 15 to 20 minutes, so we're not going to spend a lot of time um, here. But we really wanted to just, we didn't want to close this book without us um, basically spending some time for us to be able to testify. So if you have that, just raise your hand if you have a question or a testimony or anything about the book of Esther, um, please let us no. Well, this is, why don't you start off, Pastor Carly, like this is, we talked before, this is your first time teaching through the book of Esther, like a verse by verse, yeah. the book of Esther. Why don't you start off as they're thinking through their questions as what are some specific life lessons that you've learned, yeah. you know, um, throughout this book and teaching it? Um, you kind of just uh, closed off with what you said, how the book of Esther has such strong implication of the gospel. Um, and this is one of the books that I feel like in every single chapter, you just see it scream. Uh, although you don't see, like you said, uh, explicit mentions of God, but it's screaming out, here's right. Jesus, yeah. here's Jesus, here's Jesus there. Um, and so I love the picture, the imagery that you see throughout the book of what Esther represents, um, the, the fight that she had to fight for her people, yeah. identifying with her people, um, in such a way where she was even willing to risk her life. Uh, but I think for me, the practical thing I saw was, um, again, in light of the gospel, how Jesus went so far to die for us and to show how much he loves us and he cares for us, right? And so it shows that he doesn't just care about like our eternal struggles and our battles, but then he also cares for the small things, like right. the everyday things too. Yeah, right? So now. if he cares yeah. for our eternal destiny, man, he also cares about our small details because that's what we see throughout the, the book of Esther, how God is involved in those small things that you don't think he's involved in. Um, but then, man, if God, yeah. for me, that's what I saw. If God is so much involved in like saving and rescuing us, then he's also involved yeah. in the small mundane right. things that- That's good. Yeah. You know, questions, come on, testimonies. I, but I think in that, one of the things that it's also 
important that you can easily miss in the book of Esther, that this happened over a period of many, many years. Oh, yes. yep. And we talked about that early in our, in our city group. We talked about just like, you know, there's like a three-year period, four-year period of where Vashti, I mean, not Vashti, um, Queen Esther didn't know, like, was she going to be a slave for the rest of her life? Was she going to become the queen? Well, like, there was that, like a long period. There was a period where, like, they just didn't know that, like, what it was going to be. And they said, like, Mordecai every day was going to the temple, every day, uh, going to the palace for years, right? It's like, because you could miss that oftentimes. It's like, God, you because we, oftentimes we expect God to move, like, tomorrow, Right, like, and we, we we was like, okay, we're trusting God for something. If it didn't happen in this month, God, where are you? Just, you just left, you know. And it's like, but there was a long period of time of just silence and just trying to like hang on, yeah. you know. And I think that that is something that oftentimes that ministered to me. That like, but it's recognizing that God was even when it seems like God is not at work, He's still at work. Yeah, you know, because oftentimes I struggle with like, Lord. Like, uh, like, I treat God like this absentee landlord. Like, he set up things. He did all the stuff. I trust in all the what God has did. And he's kind of like, he's like chilling on a vacation now. Yeah, yeah. Right? And this is kind of like, and I'm like, God. It's sort of like, you guys remember like the boat um, when Jesus was in the boat and the storm was going on. And, you know, and Jesus was sleeping at the bottom. Right? There's, that's that's a, a passage in yeah. the scriptures. Like, he's sleeping in the boat. And the disciples was like, how can you sleep in the time with so much chaos and turmoil that just like I don't know about you but that's oftentimes how I feel like God is mm. like in this midst of like all of this chaos in the midst of all that's going on it's like Lord yeah. where where are you and it seems like you're sleeping on the job yeah you know and but we, we recognize that he's not so do we have one up there yeah sure first of all excellent job you guys have uh, done an amazing job of uh, breaking this down Esther is important for many reasons, but we often don't get a chance to hear about great women in the scriptures, um, especially in today's very divisive social times. Why is this book important, not only theologically, but for socially for women in churches, women understanding how God can use them, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I think, I mean, from <laughs> I tried to touch on it a little bit, um, and that's one of the reasons why I touched on it um, last sermon, because I, I, I I was hoping that we didn't miss the fact that this is the Lord using Esther, a woman, and she played in so many important roles where today would not necessarily be championed or or celebrated for women to play in. I mean, she was a queen. She was a political leader. Um, she influenced the decisions of the king, so she wasn't silent, and especially in that time where, I mean, we saw how Queen Vashti, the moment that she refused to follow immediately the wishes of the king, she was dismissed, right? Yeah. And so we see in so many ways Esther challenged the cultural norm, um, and then God used her and empowered her. She had influence, she had courage, um, and she made a difference. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think uh, it's so hard for us now to kind of look at this book mm -hmm. and, and not see... Um, the role that women play in God's kingdom and also play in the church as well. And so I think this is kind of like an example that really, if we just to step back, yeah. we would see not just Esther, but throughout the Bible, God has used like women in powerful yeah. ways. And so I just hope that we, we don't miss 
the reality of, of Esther's role as a woman um, and a powerful leader, the role that she played in the story. Yeah, uh, 100. And then I love what you just talked about at the end. Is just like the, uh, the normative nature of how God uses women. And I even love the tension because we see like it was like how Esther is so key in bringing about the salvation of the people, but at the end she gets no credit. Mm. Did you guys see that? Like in chapter ten, it's all about Mordecai. It's about how Mordecai is the famous, how Mordecai and it's like how King Ahasuerus is like, and I think that is so um, indignant of our of what we feel like what's going on in our days. That so much like throughout all the way from people like Rahab to Esther to you know, um, I mean, Sarah, like, I mean, this throughout, throughout the Bible, but oftentimes it's the men that gets the credit, you know, in, you know, in terms of what's taking place. But you can trace throughout the Bible, it's just like God is not, um, God uses both men and women equally, right, there to be conduits of his grace. And I think that that is something that we see in the book of Esther taking place. Other questions, comments? I have a comment just uh, really encouraged by seeing the way that God's track record plays into Esther and like um, I think sometimes we forget like Esther is a Esther and Mordecai are an example of the reason why we continue to read these stories yeah because you know with you know Mordecai saying hey salvation will come for the Jews he's thinking back to the promises that God has made to them Mordecai not bowing down to Haman, um, probably influenced by Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego a few hundred years earlier. And just seeing God, Esther fasting and knowing that, positioning herself humbly, like God will respond to that. Um, and even the, the Haman's friends and family who said, hey, if you, didn't kill, if you didn't kill Mordecai, if you didn't get rid of the Jews now, they are going to like come back yeah. and get you. Like mm. God has, had a track record even in that time that people were really aware of yep. and how mm. he moved, and they responded accordingly. Mm-hmm. And it was just encouraging for me because that's the reason why we study Esther so that we can see God's track record, mm. know that he'll be the same God for us and respond accordingly. Amen. Yeah. Amen. That's good. And I think it's particularly important right now in the time that we're currently in because I mean the bottom line is is that it's not a secret that church attendance around across North America is down like in people like and I think part of it is because of um, the missing component in what we just went through over the last four years what most of us did as churches we just shut down we went internal we started fighting with one another we you know there was no thus saith the Lord in some of our hardest time in history and people have started questioning the utility of the church, right? They started, they stopped trusting institutions and all that. And so to be a believer in this time, in this season is, um, you know, it's, it's difficult. You know, it's hard and it's real easy because we're dealing with our own personal trauma. We're dealing with the trauma of our loved ones, the, our friends, so many of us that are dealing with that, you know, and so just the, the ability to trust the Lord and especially in the time when we feel like God and you're still silent. Like for some of us, right, that you're still silent. So, uh, yeah, I think that that is good. But so in the oftentimes you trust God's track record. And I think that is the faithfulness of God, his track record throughout, um, throughout the scriptures is where we put our confidence in. Yeah. And I think to your point, the last chapter was really good where it talked about have they not been written in the book of historical events of the king. And so just that 
the idea from chapter nine mm -hmm. and chapter 10, the idea of remembering, right? So yeah. we can see God's faithfulness. Like right. don't forget his faithfulness, especially when we are in dark times where we don't see God yeah. moving, we can just go back in our yes. historical records of God's faithfulness. And then we can see that he's always at work. The certainty of it. Yeah. Verse three was this, like, they almost paint Mordecai like he's just, oh, he's an activist. Like, again, just look at it. Like, I mean, if you look at chapter, verse three, Mordecai the Jew was the second only to King Ahasuerus. He was famous among the Jews, highly esteemed by many of his relatives. He continued to pursue prosperity for his people and to speak for the well-being of all of the descendants. It didn't say he was like, you know, it was about the Lord. It was about, it was just kind of like his people. He was an activist. He cared, you know, and it's just like, you know, oftentimes when we look at history and we look at, look at facts, that's kind of how we interpret things. But again, it was this, this, we know that it wasn't Mordecai. We, we get the kind of the behind the scenes that this was the Lord doing all of this, but the activists get the credit oftentimes, right? And so part of that, and, and God utilizes and you uses. And so it's just like, it's just part of the story. It's not all of the story is ultimately what I'm saying. I'm going to just say, um, this was more of a blessing out of all the sermons. Um, the one that, the Heidi that you preached on God's providence, um, throughout this whole book. Like to me, that really hit me, uh, because I think sometimes we don't realize how much God is in control of every little thing within our lives, you know? And so that particular sermon really blessed me. You know, sometimes we forget like, man, if, if I'm going for a job and I didn't get the job, that's God's providence. You know, if I'm living in Atlanta, that's God's providence. If I'm living on this side of town versus that side of town, that's God's providence, you know? And so that sermon on God's providence, like that, that really helped me, you know, uh, just realizing that God is in control of every single thing within our life and he does it for his glory, not our own. Amen. So. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, so can you hear me? Is it on? Yeah. Okay. Um, thank you so much. This has been like such a blessing across the board. And I just want to ask more about the fasting part um, of, of the story. I was having a conversation with a friend and they were just like, do we fast? Because if it's supposed to be a three-day fast and you stop on day two, God's not going to answer. So if you speak more about Esther's fasting, was, was it to hear from God? Was it for God to save the people? Was it for favor? Like, where does fasting fit in, like, our sp spiritual rhythms, and how should we think about it? Yeah, that's really good. Um, I think there could be uh, elements of all those in fasting. Um, I think primarily when you think about fasting is not just the emptying of ourselves, but then it's also the feeling of ourselves as well. Um, and so feeling of God's wisdom, asking him to fill us with direction, asking him to fill us with strength that we don't have, this idea of dependency. Um, and so throughout the story, we see this desperate need that Esther had, right? Yes, it was for favor too. It was for deliverance. It was for an answer. So I think all of that could play a role. Um, but man, when we fast, I think that's just a sign of our desperation to the Lord. And we're like, God, I just want to completely um, uh, be vulnerable to you and uh, ask you to do only what you can do. Um, and this is a sign of your power. So there's a physical element to fasting, but then I think there's a spiritual element to fasting that probably we don't know much of. Um, and I think the more that we practice that, we start seeing it and experiencing it, if that makes sense. Um, so there was a real, because we saw it was after her fasting 
that she had this courage now, right? And then she didn't even really have an answer <laughs> what was going to happen, but it just gave her courage to make a decision to go before the king and do some things that were very difficult for her to do. So kind of to what you're, what you're saying, we don't see answer. We don't see after her fasting, she walked away with God telling her to do something, but we just saw after fasting, she had clarity. This is what I need to do. And then I'm just trusting the outcome in the hands of God. Does that make sense? So I, and I'll just add on that because on one side, he talked about the desperation that we have. And then when we talk in that desperation is to be a reminder. So it's a discipline. So we talk about the discipline of fasting, right? The discipline of fasting goes to it's a reminder. And I think about um, James, James, where it talks about both fleeing temptation, but also pursuing righteousness. And I love what you talk about, like the fleeing and pursuing. And so... So the reason why we fast as a regular occurrence, the same way we spend time with the Lord, we pray, uh, that we occasionally fast, is to both remind ourselves that man does not live off of bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's a reminder that we are to be a desperate people, not just in desperate times, but always, you know, desperate. And so we remind ourselves of our desperation of God when we fast. And so that's why sometimes we do it, we do it, even though it may not be troubling times in our minds, but it's to remind us. So I would even encourage you to have rhythms of fasting, you know, even in good times, because a lot of times we, we can survive in hard times, but many of us struggle with being prosperous in good times, mm-hmm. right? It's because that's when we think we don't need God. Yeah. And so it's the discipline of fasting that reminds us that we are to remain desperate yeah. in the both empty ourselves, but to fill ourselves yeah. in that. So I think that that is also important. Oh, she should, she should follow up. Yeah. Can I say this? I would just say in anything that you struggle with, just think about three words. How do you do something easy, obvious, and strategic, Right. So when it, if it was like, if I was struggling with fasting, then I would just say, Lord, I'm not going to fast for days or months or whatever. I'm just not going to eat a meal. I'm just not like lunchtime or breakfast time. We skip meals all the time because of busyness or whatever, right? I'm just, this meal. But when you skip that meal, lunchtime, then just take that time to intentionally pray. So it's both a fleeing and a pursuing. So that's easy. And then the next time, do something a little longer, you know, or maybe fast from Netflix one night, right? So there's something like it's easy, but then try to build up in the same way. Like if you're trying to run a marathon, you ain't going to go out and run 26 miles day one, mm-hmm. right? Your first thing may just, just walk, yeah. right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I just think that is something that's important. So think easy, obvious, and strategic. Mm-hmm. Build yourself up in the same way that, you know, that you would do any other thing yeah. versus trying to kind of do this whole thing in the very beginning. Yeah. And I'll add, I mean, fasting is a discipline, right? Yeah. And so it's kind of like you're strengthening your muscle. The more you exercise, the more you get stronger and things like that. So one is a discipline. So don't feel bad if you try to fast for like 10 hours and then you break it after four. Don't feel bad, right? But then just keep, like, like you said, just keep growing in that. But I'll also encourage you to fast with other people. Right. So that could be a way of encouraging one another. Um, so my wife, you know, she goes to the gym, but then she goes to the gym knowing that she has to meet with someone. Right. And um, and that person she's paying to work out with her. And so this person keeps her accountable. Right. And so I hope that's not bad um, to point. 
But the point I'm making is that bad? Okay, no. The point I'm making, the point I'm making is when you go to the gym and you know you have a physical trainer waiting for you, like you're gonna go and do it, right? Especially if you know like you're paying them. But so if you are fasting with someone, you know like there's someone with you walking alongside of you, and you get weak, you can look to that person and keep pushing each other. So So the question is, do you go to the gym? So I will say no, just so I can not look terrible right now. I may look terrible as a husband. But, and we see in that story, Esther didn't fast alone. That's the point I'm trying to make. Esther didn't fast alone. She called a group of people to fast with her. That's good. So fast with other people. That's good. A couple more. A couple more. Yeah. um, So Pastor Carly preached on just a history, I believe, of... um, Haman and the Jews and Haman's people. And it just spoke uh, clearly to me just because we always can justify our anger. We can always justify our pain. And then even enacting that on other people and vice vice versa. Like everybody has a story essentially. And I think even in seeing this of just seeing that is God's provision of God saying like, I'll stand behind these people because these are my chosen people, but I cannot stand behind this. And even in a time where we do not search or we don't feel like we have to search for God to justify our pain, our anger, our rage, whatever expression of that may be, is really good just to know that like, these people have historical beef, like it's like historical, deep rooted, generational long beef. And to still see that God is coming through for his people. Yeah. 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 Um, One of the things that I I really want to make sure that we don't do, um, because I think there was a question that was asked last week that we don't see some of the uh, war that the Jews took upon these people as equivalent to what's happening now. Um, it's a totally different time, totally different context. So I just want to make sure that what we're seeing in the Bible that Haman was doing in the fight, because that's what, you, what you're touching at. There was a historical conflict that was happening where all the way back in 1 Samuel chapter 15, the Lord was telling the people to be obedient and to wipe out the Amalekites. But then we see how not doing that left sin lying dormant and sin came back to overtake the people. Mm -hmm. And so this is why we see Esther went into this whole process of completing the work that uh, King Saul didn't complete back in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And so she went back and completely eradicate the Amalekites. And so there was that historical context that's totally different from what we're seeing today. So I hope that we don't walk away and say, what's happening today is permissible because we saw it in Esther chapter or, or in the book of Esther. We're going to do a speed round because I know there's one in the back, one here. So we're going to answer really quick because we're going to be done in three minutes. <laughs> I just want to make a comment. Yes. Mothers, the world ceases to exist when women stop having babies. There's no human that exists that can equate to mother. Amen. So as far as women are concerned, they're in a special place. Check where Jesus, God, decided to come into the world, how Mm -hmm. he came in. He could have came in the way he wanted to because he's God, but he chose a woman to come to 
in the same way that every other human being that's born gets, I mean, that comes into this world gets here. There, there's no other way. Amen. So she has a special place, no matter what. Yeah, amen. 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 Uh, just a quick comment. I thought uh, one of the things that stood out to me is just how fun the read was uh, above everything else. It was just like, for me, reading this was like a nervous excitement where you were looking forward to what was going to happen next. It was like watching what, like Dragon Ball Z where it was like, <laughs> what's going to happen next week? Uh, so that was one thing that really stood out. Apart from all the like spiritual stuff that we learned from it, it was just a return of excitement of like, oh, I can't wait to go to the group and talk about this with everybody. And even sharing it at work of like, yeah, I'm excited for Bible study. And they're like, wait a minute, excitement, Bible study? That's an oxymoron, my guy. But um, so it was a lot of fun actually sharing and just using this as like a way to share and study and just be excited about learning about the Bible. So that was fun. That's good. Yes. Only a blueprint church where you get Esther compared to Dragon Ball Z. (laughs) Amen. I just wanted to piggyback off of what Kalechi said in the sense that um, reading the book of Esther, it changed me. Mm. Um, it's probably been a, a while since I sat with a book in the Bible for two months. Mm. Um, I think my prayer life changed. What I was praying for changed. When I saw Esther call that fast, um, taking time to intercede for something bigger than myself. Mm. Um, another reflection would be Haman. And I initially had this such a disdain for him, but then some of the questions I began to ask God is like, do I have Haman tendencies? Yeah. Yeah. Like, am I easily offended? Mm. Like, what's my pride level like? And come to find out, I, I actually did <laughs> mm. in some ways. And I like how Carly in the past talked about uh, in ways Haman is, could be like a picture of like your flesh. Mm. Um, mm. who's, and it's never satisfied. Yeah. Yeah. And I think my last thought would be uh, the latter part of Esther where the questions, the, the, the request that she has of the king. Mm-hmm. And it, when you see her asking for Haman, you see her asking for his sons, asking for the Jewish people to be, to be saved. And I oftentimes thought about spiritual warfare mm. in reading the book of Esther and my request started to change towards God because when we look around, there's a lot of like chaos and there's a lot of like, there's a lot of where you can clearly see it's like the enemy is not necessarily in hiding. Like there's like overt things where we can see the wiles and the schemes of the enemy. And now my request towards God is different. Mm. Like I'm not playing patty cake with the That's enemy. You know, like we are offense and defensive. Yeah. So yeah, it's like, no, I want things that the enemy has set up to be completely destroyed. Yeah. And Jesus, he leaves us, he leads us in triumphal procession, like always leads us mm. in victory. So now I'm asking him, for those high places. That's and I'm good. asking him to tear down the works of the enemy. That's Amen. good. Amen. 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 Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Mm. Yeah. Um, my name is Monica. Um, my Spanish is my speaker. But I try for English. Um, the Buddhist term, 
I'm not perfect, but my, my life, uh, God working for me is different, and my problem. So instead, so my, I go for read the Bible for pastor or church is the book, uh, Second Timothy, uh, three sisters say, um, say, all scripture is God, written in his own mm. self for, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training, mm. and rightness. So that's me, maybe the Buddhist there uh, is working, God working, it's not, it's not, it's not talking God, 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 but the Holy Spirit is different for everybody, people. It doesn't mystery for the Holy Spirit for, in the path, Genesis 1-1. So God, God creation, one man and woman, mm. God creation, me, God creation, everybody. I got the book and God respect everybody in here. But the perfect love is God. Yeah. yeah. And that's it. And thank you for listening, but it's, yes. it's, it's, I see for the Buddhist there for every year for different children, the pastor and pastor. Yeah. And but uh, that's not complain. Is so it's uh, that one the Buddha say salvation, salvation for different series, and that's it for Jesus is alive. Mm. Amen. 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 Thank Amen. you. Thank you. All right, well, why don't you close this out? Close this out yeah. with some prayer and just kind of that yeah. pray the book of Esther over our congregation. Absolutely. And um, that the Lord yeah. would have his way, you know, and that his word would not return void. Mm. Yeah. All right, well, let's pray. Well, Father, thank you um, for giving us your word. Um, just like my sister just said, um, your word is alive. Um, they're not just words on a page, um, but they are your very own breath that you breathe um, to us. Um, and that breath, the same breath that in Genesis 1 hovered the earth and responded, um, or, or, or the, the creation responded to, and it gave life to, um, that same word is what has breathed life into our hearts and our spirits, and that's made us alive um, in Jesus. Jesus. And so thank you for this word that we were able to sit under the book of Esther and to see the amazing pictures of Jesus in this book, um, that you are the one who uh, identified with a people um, who were in desperate need um, facing destruction, um, could do nothing about it, um, but you intercede, went before the king of all kings and received favor on our behalf. And uh, that favor allowed us to um, be rescued mm -hmm. by you. Um, and so as we sat through the book of Esther, um, we saw how we all have a great enemy after our souls. Um, and not just Satan, but even in our flesh, we have an enemy that is warring in us, that's seeking our destruction. Um, but we see how you fought for us. Yes, we Father. see how 
you um, put in place a different law, a law that reversed what was intended to happen for us, which would be our destruction, but it brought a reversal on our lives and that you set us free. Yes. Uh, you brought us from the, the ashes, from the grave, and you've made us victorious people. And so I pray for everyone who is here now who has not experienced that victory in you, who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, um, who has not made peace with your son. Um, I pray that right now they would understand that there's grace and there's hope and there's forgiveness. Um, there's newness of life. Um, there's redemption. Um, there's restoration and that we don't have to sit under the powers of the enemy and feel defeated, but we know that you have conquered the enemy um, and that you have made us people who are victorious in Jesus. And so those people who don't know who you are, Jesus, I pray right now under the sound of my voice, Jesus, that you would um, uh, bring them to your your, your, your throne and, and bring them in your presence and bring them to a saving understanding knowledge of who you are, Jesus, and that they would give their life to you and so that they would find safety and salvation in you. And for those who do know who Christ is, Father, I pray that you would encourage them and I pray that you would give them joy and to know that they are walking with the King and they're not walking alone and Regardless of the situation that they may find themselves in, the darkness that they might see that they are facing in their lives, they are not facing that alone. You have placed them in a particular season in their life. You have not forgotten them. Uh, you are with them, and you are doing something amazing. Even if we don't understand what it is, but we believe that you are doing something amazing in our lives. And so I pray that you would surround them with people just like we talked about, that would encourage them, give them the strength to fast and go before your presence in desperation, and, uh, and surround them with a community, a family of people to help them through um, what their, uh, uh, whatever those challenges are. Um, but we also pray, just like this, the, the, the book of Esther ended with a celebration, God, we would be people with joy. We'd be people who are celebrating the victory that we have. We'd be a people who are not walking under the bondage and the condemnation of sin, but we'd be people who are walking free, celebrating, singing, and worshiping the amazing God that you are and the amazing things that you've done. So, Lord, we pray as we remember the story of Esther and as we also remember um, what you have done for us, as we remember the gospel, help us to rest. Um, just like the book ended with this resting and remembering, I pray that we can rest in you and remember all the amazing things that you've done so that when we look back at our lives and we look back at this season, we can pinpoint every single thing as uh, only you, only you. So we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.